Well, turn where you will, but you won't find a message like that anywhere else but in the Bible and through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we have in Revelation 21 this picture of Christ's glorified church. Now, if you've been with us through this series, you'll know it's not been my intention to delve into this book in very fine detail, but rather to make sure that we all get the big picture. And uh, I've recommended one or two books. If you want to go into some of that finer detail yourselves, I'll be, I'll be quoting from the main one uh, in a moment, just a, a, a paragraph or two to help us. So this is the big picture of the book of Revelation. And we've seen in the preceding chapters, we've had explained to us what life will be like in this sinful world. And in particular, what life will be like for Christians with the many trials and difficulties and the severe and repeated opposition which will rise up against the church throughout the entire gospel age. The whole of the book of Revelation is applicable to all Christians in every age because it's about the age in which every Christian lives. All through these chapters we've also seen that those who are in Christ Jesus are sealed in him. They're known to God and by God and they are made secure despite the trials and tribulations that God might call you to go through as a Christian believer, despite the many routine difficulties that all men and women face in this sinful world. You are sealed in Christ and you will enjoy eternal safety and security. And that day will come when Christ will ultimately be seen to be the victorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords that he is. We were reminded much earlier in the book, the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured as one riding a white horse who rides out conquering and to conquer. And he's the one who opens the seals on the scroll of the Father. He's over all things in this world. Now we saw that in chapter 20, as this revelation given by John, given to John by Jesus, I should say, as it moves to those end times when Christ finally returns and Satan is defeated forever and condemned, that's in verse 10 of chapter 20, the devil the one who deceived them, he's cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, there tormented day and night forever and forever. Christ victorious, vindicated over the evil one. And all of mankind standing before God in judgment. Verse 12 of chapter 20. All, the small and the great, makes no difference. All will stand before God. And anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Solemn, solemn words. 
As we move into chapter 21, we read of the glorious future of those whose names are written in the book of life. We read of the glorious future that awaits you if you're a Christian believer. And at this point, I just want to quote from uh, William Hendrickson, just as part of the introduction. Um, This is one of the books that I would recommend you read. There's a number of very good commentaries on the book of Revelation, which do go into some of the detail that I'm not going into on Sunday evenings. More Than Conquerors by William Hendrickson. One good place to start. Now, listen to what he says here. This is helpful. We have reached the final and most beautiful theme. There is a beautiful connection between the first book of the Bible and the last. Scripture resembles a flower. We find the seed in Genesis, the growing plant in the books which follow, the fully developed and beautiful flower in the Revelation. Observe the following comparison. Genesis tells us that God created heaven and earth. Revelation describes the new heaven and earth. In Genesis, the luminaries are called into being, sun, moon and stars. In Revelation, we read, the city has no need of the sun or the moon, for the glory of God enlightens it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Genesis describes a paradise which was lost. Revelation pictures a paradise restored. Genesis describes the cunning and power of the devil. The revelation tells us that the devil was bound and hurled into the lake of fire and brimstone. Genesis pictures that awful scene of man fleeing away from God and hiding himself from the presence of the Almighty. Revelation shows us the most wonderful and intimate communion between God and redeemed man. Finally, whereas Genesis shows us the tree of life with an angel to keep the way to the tree of life, lest man put forth his hand and take of its fruit, the apocalypse, the revelation, restores to man his right to have access to it, that they may have the right to come to the tree of life. That's later in chapter 22. So again, we ask, what is the theme of this book, book of Revelation? It is this, not the devil, but Christ is victorious. God's plan, though for a while seemingly defeated, is in the end seen to triumph completely. And in these closing chapters, we see that triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we go through this chapter, I want you to notice a few things, and I'll be highlighting a few of the verses from the New Testament, that the things that are mentioned here when Christ returns, we actually, if you're a Christian, you actually have all of these things in some measure right now because of the position that you're in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we will have them in all their fullness, in all their completion in all their perfection. And to help us understand this chapter, I want to break it down into three sections and just talk to you 
for a few moments now under three headings. And the first is this, and we notice this right at the beginning of chapter 21, God will make all things new. God will make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth, verse 1. The new Jerusalem, verse 2. The one who makes all things new. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Verse 4. God will wipe away every tear. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. Who will do this? Verse 5. There is one sat on the throne who says, Behold, I make all things new. And we know, of course, this one who sits on the throne is both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In all their majesty, in all their glory, in all their sovereign power, making all things new. This is the work of God. Only God can truly make things new. Men and women have tried countless times and countless ways Men and women have come up with all kinds of schemes and plans to try and build some new utopia and it never works because it's the work of God and God alone. The day is coming when God will make all things new. And what lies in store for Christian believers? Verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be, I will be his God and he will be my son. And what of the others? Verse 8, we're reminded again. The lake of fire and brimstone. All things new. Everything in this sinful world and universe, as we know it and understand it today, will be done away. It will all be gone. God will get rid of it all. It will all be swept away by him. And something new will be in its place. Something new. You see, God is in the business of making things new. And we're going to have this glorious new experience, this glorious new place in which we will be with Christ when Christ returns. But you see, you're actually offered that now in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That newness is something which comes to you now. And if you have it now, then you can be certain that you will have it then. Let's just think about this idea of newness. And I just want to bring to your attention two scriptures. And we'll see here from the writings of the Apostle Paul. First of all, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, the second letter that we have recorded in our Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Now listen, it's a well-known verse. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Creation is God's work. Only God can create. We can manipulate. We can manufacture. We can make some changes here and there, but only God's in the word in the work of creation. A new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is that your experience and testimony this evening? That the Lord Jesus Christ has made your life new. You're not the man or woman or young person you used to be. Oh, you've got a long way to go to being how God would have you be for sure. But you know you're not who you used to be. You know that Christ has made you new, new on the inside, a new heart, a new mind, a new way of living, new affections, new loves, new desires, new goals, new ambitions, because you're a child of God and you love him and him you wish to serve. And people can see in you there is something new. It's wonderful. And the day is coming when this newness is going to come to everything. God is going to do this everywhere across his whole universe. That that he's done in the life of every individual believer is going to be done on a cosmic scale. Wow. But has he done it in you? Because if you will be there on that day with Christ, on the day he makes all things new... Well, you need to make sure that that's your position now, today, in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul writes, this time when he wrote to the Colossian church in chapter 3 of Colossians from verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Isn't that wonderful? God is in the business of making all things new. Christ is in the business of making things new. And there's this glorious day coming when there's going to be this newness. But do you have it now? You can You must, in Christ Jesus, to recognize him for who the Bible says he is. The son of God who came into this world to save us from our sins, to redeem us, to give his very life and lay it down for his sheep. To take our place at Calvary, to take and bear in his body our sins and the penalty for them. That God might forgive us because there is, there is one who shed his precious blood. The lamb who keeps being mentioned here. The sacrifice. The perfect one. Shed for us. That's a glorious day approaching when Christ is going to make all things new. What will that be like? Well, as we see, John... In the rest of the chapter, he struggles to find the words to describe what it's like to be in a place where there is no sin. We can't really understand it. We only know a world that is full of sin. We don't know what it's like to live in a place where there is no trace of sin anywhere around us. And what's more, no trace of sin within. What must it be like to have no Trace of sin in the heart and mind of Ian Hyam. I have no idea till I get there. 
but it will be glorious. And I know that God is going to make me new. And all the failures and the frustrations that I experience and that you experience, even as a Christian, it'll all be gone. No more will you say, as we were thinking this morning, if only. There'll be none of that. Christ is going to make all things new, pure, sinless, painless, tearless. Don't you want to be there on that day? The offer of the gospel is that today that newness can begin if it hasn't already. You can start to know it today in the Lord Jesus Christ as the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and changes you and transforms you, causes you to be born again. New. That's the gospel. Secondly, we see the church described as a holy city and as a bride. Did you notice that as we read through through the chapter? The city is first mentioned in verse 2. The holy city, New Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem out in Palestine that everyone's arguing about. The New Jerusalem. Now remember, this is all symbolic language. But it's picturing the church renewed, pure, sinless. And the church comes down from heaven and is pictured both as a city and as a bride. In verse 2, it's a city and a bride adorned for her husband. And then it goes on and mentions the city in a number of different ways. The city is described from verse 16 using this glorious language. A city, a vast people living together. This place is their home. It's where they belong. With Christ. In the presence of your God, that's your home. It's where you belong. Here they're provided for. They're protected The image of a city, they have all the amenities and provision and security that they will ever need. It comes down from heaven. It's something that's established by the grace of God and by the power of God. It's not a man-made city. This is all God's work. It's all God's doing. He is the source and origin of it. This city is the work of God, not the work of men. And it's a holy city. Holiness describes that which is both pure and righteous and without sin. But holiness also has within it the the concept of this wonderful relationship and fellowship with God himself. And that's all pictured here in this chapter. And we see from verse 16 as it describes this city, it's described as this gigantic cube. Now, There isn't going to be a literal cube that comes down from the sky somewhere. It's all symbolic language. And it's just 
picturing the perfection of it all. It's picturing the fact that this is the work of God's hand and it's precise and it's exact and it's exactly as he has made it to be. There's nothing random or haphazard about it. It's all precisely the work of God as he would have it be. And we have the language here with references to gold and all of these different precious stones and glass that's clear and pure and transparent, a place of perfect righteousness and goodness and holiness, a place where God dwells. And John is using all this descriptive language to try and convey the glory in the picture that he's seeing. He struggles to find the words, but he's given this here. Of course, Christ is, in, is working here and the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write all of these things down for us. We see a reference to both the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Here is the whole church of Christ, the one family of God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. There's reference to the wall and gates uh, that, are, that allow people in. And there is entrance on every side and everyone from every tribe and tongue and nation from the four corners of the earth may all enter in through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. God's own special people. And it embraces believers from Old and New Testaments alike who are this single glorious city, the dwelling place of the saints and the inhabitant, the habitation of God himself. And here it comes on that day when all things are new. Too wonderful for us really to begin to grasp and comprehend. But here's the question, will you be there? Will that city be your home? The church is pictured as a bride prepared for her husband. And here's the bride on the morning of her wedding, making her preparations. She wants to be the most beautiful that she's ever been. She takes care getting ready that morning like she's never taken care before. And that's the church pictured as the bride ready to be united to the groom who is Christ himself and it speaks of the loving intimate nature between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church and we're his bride now we're his bride now for one thing, of course, thinking about a city, Jesus described us as lights, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He says that in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. But we're described as a bride right now. Listen to the, the Apostle Paul has this in mind all the time. And he wrote these things before the revelation was written. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and at verse 27, well, he's been talking about literal husbands and wives. 
he says from verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And having been speaking about Christian marriage between a man and a woman at verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's glorious, pure intimacy, this pure relationship, this exclusive relationship, one for the other as exists between a husband and a wife. And it's all actually about the church. And this is trying to get across to us just how precious you are to God in Christ Jesus. And for us as his people, just how precious we are to him. Would we not live for him as we ought? Would we not strive to be this pure church that we should be would we not strive to be those who are obedient and faithful and glad and joyful in our fellowship with one another but most of all in our fellowship with our savior because we're his bride and oh how he loves us how he loves us what a wonderful thing the gospel is. You won't find this anywhere outside the Bible. You won't find it anywhere outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, as we close, just notice the nature and the presence of God that we are to look forward to. And remember, actually, that we have this now. We have this now, but we have these wonderful things said. From verse 22 in chapter 21, uh, this city has no designated place of worship. There's no church building. There's no temple. Doesn't need one. God himself is the temple. The entire city is a tabernacle of praise and worship to God. Everyone is in full communion and fellowship with God. There is nothing that can be done or introduced to make their fellowship with God any closer or any more meaningful than it already is. Simply being a citizen in this city, simply being one of those who make up the bride, that's all you need. Such is the intimacy with God that exists in this place. There's no need for any light source other than God himself. The glorious radiance of his being. Remember the other week we looked in 1 John, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. 
the very light of God himself is all that we'll ever need for all of eternity. You think the sun is bright at noonday. You haven't seen anything yet. And they, well, it's, a, it's a light that will never go down. It's a light that will never dim. It's a light that will never fail. It will always be there. Day and night the light will be on. Such is the presence of God amongst his people. But those who are here are those who are saved, verse 24. Those who are saved. Are you a saved man or woman this evening? Do you know this salvation which comes to you through the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your name written in the book of life? And the opening verses of chapter 22, just as we close, we have this picture. Now again, it's symbolic language. It's just explaining spiritual truths and realities which will be ours when we're forever with the Lord. The picture is of a pure river of water. It's the water of life. It proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. We have our life in him Actually, if you're a Christian now, you have your life in him, don't you? But your life will be in him. And we have this picture of glorious provision. Now, some commentators actually tell us that in verse 2, where it talks about the tree of life, uh, the language that's used actually speaks not of a single tree, but of a, a huge area, like a park of trees and that it's prolific and it's abundant uh, what tree do you know that gives it that brings a new fruit every month it's abundant abundant provision everything that we need the healing of the nations comes from its leaves no more curse no more curse the throne of God and the Lamb is there. Servants serving him. We'll see his face, the face of Christ. And we are his. His name shall be on their foreheads. We're not literally going to be tattooed. But we will know he is mine and I am his forever and forever. And here we are. And this is it for all eternity. And again, the repetition of the light. And we will reign with him forever. Forever. This is why when a believer dies, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. Because we know what's coming. And so, that which we already experience in part in this sinful world is one day going to be known to all of us in all of its fullness, in all of its completion, in all of its perfection when Christ returns. Have you been made new in Christ? Has he saved you? Do you have this assurance that on this great day, 
when Christ returns for his church, there you will be, standing with the saints, in the place that now is your eternal home. There you will reign with him forever and ever. His praises will be on your tongue. His praises will flow from your heart in a place where there is no sin at all. And truly, all is well for all eternity.